What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Does the future ever scare you? Do you ever wonder what it's going to be like to be leading in 10 years or in the world we live in 10 months? Well, today, I think we've got some answers for what the future looks like as we sit down with Clay Scroggins and talk about his brand new book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. And it is going to be so timely in your lives. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to welcome to this episode of Lynch with a Leader, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. For 153 episodes, we have been so blessed to have in leaders of all shapes and sizes, but most importantly, people with the same heart for leadership, leading with their faith out in front. And I just can't say thank you. Here we are coming off a great Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I can't say thank you enough for listening, for tuning in to all our episodes. We are so blessed to have so many avid listeners who not only listen, but they share the podcast with their family, with their friends, with their coworkers. And also, for those of you that have left late, uh, ratings and reviews, it means a ton that you have taken the time to do that. And I just want to hit pause here real quick and say thank you to Carrie, who posted this just recently. I listened to a number of leadership podcasts, but Lynch with a Leader, in my opinion, is one of the best. Mike does a great job of asking questions, creating discussions that get to the heart of true leadership from God's perspective. So many of the guests share more than just how to do effective leadership, but the why behind it. If you want to be a great, if you want a great resource to help the Christian leader from the inside out, I would definitely recommend Lynch with a Leader. Thank you, Carrie, for sharing that. It means a ton. Well, today we get to sit down with Clay Scroggins. I met Clay years and years and years ago when he was a student at Georgia Tech, but I got a front row seat here in Atlanta to watch his leadership rise in a lot of ways, working at North Point, working all the way up to leading one of their campuses. Uh, he spent 20 years in the local church, has written three leadership books, his most recent one, the one we're going to dive in on today, I think it's going to be so timely because all of us are trying to sneak a peek into the future. And I think it's going to be perfect because Clay has such a great vantage point from his years at North Point, working not only in the incredible North Point ministry system there, but also serving alongside some incredible leaders, including Andy Stanley, but incredible business leaders here in Atlanta. Clay is now working and coaching and consulting churches and organizations and businesses and is just an absolute genius when it comes up with organizational leadership. 
And I tell you what, his heart for Jesus just shines through as well. I think today is going to hit you right in the right place as we wrap up 2022. So I don't know where you're listening from right now, but I am so excited. I get to introduce you to a leader who is making a difference, but also sees those that are making a difference and is able to articulate it and put it on paper. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Clay Scroggins. Well, Clay, thanks so much for joining me in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Yeah, Mike, great to be here. And, you know, it's crazy to be connected to somebody that you don't know that well. So, I, I mean, honestly, I'm just excited about getting to know you better and getting to have this conversation. Thank you. That, that feeling's mutual. We met in the in the 90s, in the late 90s, through a mutual friend, Burt Reeves, which we could spend a whole hour talking about. Mm-hmm. But at that point in your journey, you're a student at Georgia Tech. Where did you see life headed at that point for you? Not where I am right now. <laughs> I can promise you that. I was telling somebody that yesterday. This guy was like, man, how did you end up where you are? And I'm like, you know, that is crazy. And uh, I, I have a an older mentor friend of mine named Frank Blake, who is the uh, Frank was the former CEO of Home Depot. And Frank, used to, he's told me this numerous times about career. He says career, people think career is a linear straight line. And it never is. That's right. It is a hard left. And then you move a little that way. And then a hard right. And move a little that way. And you just can't, you know, it just zigzags. And that's certainly the way my Mine has. I mean, I was I was on a career path for 18 years, which I absolutely loved. It was my dream job, but I majored in engineering. Quickly realized I need to not do that. Uh, I went to seminary, uh, worked at North Point Ministries for 18 years. Absolutely loved it. Andy Stanley's a huge influence and has been a great mentor for me. And then about a year ago, decided to take this courageous leap to go s- just be a public speaker. I, uh, I, I I've written some books, but I mean, I preach at churches. And then I speak to organizations on, um, leadership development, which the, my current mission is I want to help people become better people. I want to help employees become better employees, but I want to do it in that order. Mm-hmm. So that's the, uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing now, but I, th- this is not a box you check on the career <laughs> assessment when you're 21 <laughs> years old. I can promise you that. So, so you get this path and you end up, so it's not like your 18 years were spent in the middle of a wilderness, man. You were, you had a front row seat to really one of the greatest churches in America. And I think everybody would agree with that. Just all the campuses and all the things that you did. What did you learn about leadership in that model that's helping you today? Well, I've written three different books, and I feel like those books are what I learned mm. at North Point for 18 years. Um, I mean, the first one, the the book I wrote in 2017, that, that it's by far done, it's performed better in the market, that's for sure, than any other book I've written. But it was titled How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. That is what I I feel like. I mean, you know, we all have a life message, but for me, that has certainly mm-hmm. been the biggest message in my life is, God, you have me where you have me for a reason. I'm not in charge of everything I want to be in charge of. I, I, And I keep buying into this lie that if I could just get promoted, you know, I'm the... I was the intern coach. I was the assistant coach. I wanted to become the head coach. And I thought once I get into that role, then I'll be able to do all that I wanted to do. And I've just over and over again been let down because I've had to learn the hard way that authority is not leadership, that authority is just authority. And there is 
some leadership, some natural leadership that comes with authority, but we all know people that are in charge that aren't great leaders. And we know people that aren't in charge that are great leaders, which tells me leadership is made up of something way more powerful than authority. And obviously, you know, we could put a lot of words on it, but for me, I've used the word influence a lot, just like you as well. But um, that's probably the, that's the main thing that I learned in my 18 years in ministry is how do you get unstuck from the middle? How can you try to create momentum in an organization from, from a seat stuck right in the middle? And I do think it's possible. I think it's possible to do that. And I feel very passionate about helping people uh, learn how to unlock that kind of potential wherever they are. And you led so, I mean, and so for those that live outside Atlanta, it may not be familiar North Point, their campuses are five times the size of most churches. So you were leading camp, some of their greatest campuses at Buckhead and Alpharetta and at Browns Bridge. You were all over the map there. Andy, Andy's the chief. You are leading your part of the organization. Right. Now that you're out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you were to rewrite that book again, knowing what you know now, doing your own organization, starting from scratch, is there anything you would change in the book that you go, yeah, my viewpoints probably changed on that a little bit. Anything changed? The, I mean, I've got just my own personal experience changed this, but the section in the book that, um, people start to really, that it picks up some momentum in the book. I, I write about these four things that i was trying to do to look in the mirror and try to cultivate more influence for myself in the seat that I was in. So it was all about learning to, how to lead myself. You know, you could be frustrated with your boss yeah. if you want, or you can just decide, you know what, whether I have a good boss or a bad boss, I'm going to lead myself. Well, the third one was about thinking critically. The fourth one is about rejecting passivity, but the second one is about choosing positivity. And that's usually where people start to get, I mean, it's a little bubble gum, just the way I even chose to say it, but it's really about, waking up every day and walking into the office or getting on zoom or walking into your school or wherever you're at and going, you know what, I'm going to bring it today. I'm going to bring this hope filled, anything's possible, can do forward thinking energy. And of course we would all go, yeah, that matters. That's important. But then Tuesday happens and then the traffic happens. And then the other, you know, your coworker gets the, position and then the you know person that works for you dogs you want to you know feedback form or you know then your boss forgets your name or, or whatever yep, it changes yep. your job title <laughs> so we, we it's easy it's an easy concept to talk about i think what i would do now is talk about how do you um how do you have enduring positivity how do you have enduring joy in the middle of hard times because for me I mean, the first 16 years of my career were really wonderful. I mean, I had bumps in the road and hard things, but the last two years were really, really hard. And that was one of the reasons I knew I probably need to make myself go do something different because I was having trouble resetting my positivity. And I do look back and think, man, was there a way that I could have built a more enduring positivity And it's hard to look back and, you know, Monday morning quarterback kind of thing, because I feel like where I am now is where I'm supposed to be. But uh, I do, I would probably figure out how to write more on not just choosing positivity in general, but specifically, how do you do it when things get harder or things get challenging? You know, I, 
it's easy to look at it and go, well, of course. I mean, Clay's incredibly successful. North Point, the North Point system is full of leaders. You know, Frank Blake, full of leaders everywhere. I am sure stepping out of your own was just like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm leaving this one <laughs> boat. I'm jumping on another boat. How scary what you know, Jeff Henderson, a good friend yeah. of both of ours, has written a new book on what to, you know, that's the right. whole next model is really good. What was the part about it you didn't anticipate leaving that security that you had stepping into your own? What didn't you see coming that mm -hmm. probably you had to deal with as a leader? I, you know, whenever I, 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 I feel a little insecure talking about job transition because I've really just had one. Yeah. So, you know, which is kind of, you know, fantastic. I mean, and, and then Mike, you know, our parents generation, most of them made one or none, right. you know, That's I mean, exactly my dad, right. my dad made one and then worked in the same job for 35, 40 years. And that's pretty common, but now people are making so many more transitions. So I feel a little incompetent to talk about transition, but I do feel like the thing that, the thing that I, if you would have asked me three or four years ago, all right, you're going to make a transition in three or four years. How are you going to feel about it? I would have been like, holy cow, I bet I'm going to be so scared. I bet I was going to be so nervous. And certainly there was a bit of fear and trepidation, but it was so, it became so clear, mm. it didn't feel scary. And That's there's good. a lot of, I mean, there's, you know, I really believed God was with me. My wife was the one really pushing me, which when you have somebody that's a wind in your sail like that, yep. that believes in you, that goes, what do you mean you can't? Yeah, you got this. I had these four friends that did this intervention on me <laughs> that was, I mean, it's a whole thing in and of itself, but it was remarkable. I mean, looking back on it now, I still get teary because I just felt so humbled that, I mean, these are four high octane, busy men that I knew I was good friends with, but I didn't know it was like that. I mean, this mm. was like a brotherhood kind of thing. And they just said, Hey, we want to set aside an afternoon to come and sit down with you and talk about your career. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, we're going to do it. So, and they just basically grilled me for a couple hours, said, what do you love? What do you not love? What, where are your hurts? What are the things you hope for? What are you looking forward to? And they just said, Hey, we feel like we've seen you operate at hundred percent. We feel like you're operating at about, well, they asked me there, like, what do you think? And I was like, I mean, I'm like 80, 85 right now. I, I knew things were not great, but they were like, uh, we think it's more like 60. And mm. I was like, okay, y'all can leave now. You know, that's, yeah. I don't need any more of that, but it was so helpful for them to be like, look, we believe in you. There's a lot in you and we want to see you thrive. And uh, there's a lot more in front of you that we just feel like you're not willing to look at right now because, you know, for whatever reason. And so um, I would say if I uh, looking back on it, I would have, it would have been more helpful and hopeful and encouraging to know, Hey, when you know, you know, you know, it's not as scary because you know, I mean, I would, I mean, I look at you, Mike, you started a church. I mean, I, I think, man, oh my gosh, starting a church, that's got to feel so scary. But I'm guessing a lot of that was true for you as well. You're like, I felt so convicted. I felt like this is the right thing. God's with us. Friends are with us. And it wasn't as scary as I thought it might be. I don't, is that uh, 100%, 100. I think about it now. It terrifies me. And I think the older, then here's the thing. I made that move at 28. You made that move at 40, 40, 41, 40, 41. Yeah, 41. So, yeah. I mean, you, and, and the older we get, and I've heard Andy say it before, the older we get, the less risk averse we get. That's right. And, and stepping out, what has been something in this new season that you go, 
this is better than I thought it would be. This is great. Nobody could have told me it would be this great. What's been that part for you? Yeah, the um, a couple of buddies of mine created this. Um, we call it a team engagement sprint. If anybody's interested in reading about it, you can go to teamengagementsprint.com. But we we came up with these uh, six motivations that people feel that really get your motor cranking. And if I, looking back, I would have, I wish I would have had an assessment like this that would have helped me understand that my, a big, you know, we're all motivated by different things. Some yep. people are motivated by community at work. Some people are motivated by, you know, are you operating in your gift set? Are you, are the results clear? Can you win? Um, but for me, I was operating less in my gift set than I ever knew. Mm. And now I feel like I am doing 90% of the time I am doing what I am best at. And that is standing in front of people and trying to help them become better people, become better employees in that order. And I was doing a lot of management. I was having a lot of hard conversations, which I was okay to do. I could do them. But now looking back, I, I go, oh my gosh, that is not what I am best at doing. And there are some people that just thrive in that and love it and feel alive. And they look at what I do and they go, well, that seems like that would be outside of my zone. So we yep. all have a different lane. You know, I the the term match fit is really the, that's the one that stuck out to me that I was, I didn't realize how big of a motivation it was for me to be working inside of my giftedness. And that is what I'm doing now more than I was certainly doing two years ago. You know, I heard Ken Coleman said it hit out of his new book. Ken said, when we reach the place, 75% of what we do, we love. There you go. We are in the, cause there's always going to be the 25%. That's right. Stuff. The hard part about in the, for those outside the church world, you know, the hard part about the church world, it's like a, it's like a teacher who loves kids becoming the principal. That's well, right. All of your time now is dealing on other things, but you're not with kids anymore. That's and, right. Well, it's, and it's the, very the coach easy that to becomes that an AD. World. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. It's in every environment. You're right. That's well said. What are you finding as you go now? You're, you, you've left the, the church model and now you're out in corporate. You do a lot of corporate events. You do a lot of church stuff, but you do a lot of corporate things. And that's a lot of a big part of our audience. What are you finding amongst the people that they're most hungry for? What would you say? Well, the felt need right now, I mean, I, I was really excited. I, I thought about telling you about this ahead of time, but I thought, no, no, I kind of want to get Mike's, you know, instant you know, gut level feedback about this. Here, here's what I'm hearing over and over again from people. Well, number one, it's, it's, you know, the, the labor shortage, right? Yeah. How do we find people? How do we keep people? And then what people are experiencing, I had a, this weekend, I went to, we, our family went to the beach with a buddy of mine from high school who um, he's currently an attorney in Birmingham. And he was telling me that he, he, he made partner and he was like, man, this new, these 20 somethings, these early 30 somethings, they're just different. And this dude's like 44. And he says, the other day, this junior attorney that works on this project that I'm working on, I asked her to do something and she said, no, that doesn't work for me. And he was like, I'm sorry, what? Which he said, which means she's going to be able to bill less hours. She's going to make less money. And she's very well aware of that. And it will affect her up upward mobility. But if you asked her all that, she would go, that's not what I'm in this for. I'm fine to make less money. I'm fine if I make partner, it takes me longer. If I even want to do that, I don't even know that I want to do that, but I want to do what I want to do. I was talking to a 26-year-old guy 
who I've known since he was in high school. He's working at this church, interning at this church for a couple of years at a seminary and was waiting on them to give him a full-time job. They finally offer him one, but it was at a campus in a community that he doesn't want to live in. And he told them, no, he'll just continue to wait. Mike, when you were that age, when I was that age, Dude. I did not, I told my boss how high before I even said yes. I mean, yes. That, and that's what my, my partner at the law firm said. He was like, I would have never thought as a 28 year old to be able to tell my boss that does not work for me. This morning, I read last thing this morning, I read in this, uh, uh, the morning brew, this, you know, work newsletter thing that, that gets delivered to your inbox. There, there's a new term called quiet quitting mm. where people are not actually quitting but they're just saying, I'm going to do the bare minimum. Not, and I don't, I think you can do it in a way that glorifies God. I don't think it's like I'm being lazy. The idea is my job is not everything to me. My career is not everything to me. I've got other aspects of my life. So I'm really, honestly, I don't know what to think about it. And I'm kind of torn. Is this a healthy thing or is it not? And then, it, you know, the question I would have is what do we do about it? Yeah. Because whether it's healthy or not, it doesn't matter. It is and is, but what what are your what are your thoughts on that? Really interesting. So I think statistically, all of that's right. We have been blessed. We've we hired at Northstar. We talk about this all the time. They're old, we call them old souls. Mm. So we've got a couple really high octane 20 somethings that are old souls. They're they're wired like our generation generation was. They graduated and they're getting a job. They're not hiking, yeah. they're not, you know, they're right. not on Mine a an RV but, and right. it's just different. It is different. Yeah. And so you almost see it as a reaction to everything the generation before did wrong. That's exactly right. They saw them overwork. They saw them. That's what their mom and dad did. And they're reacting to it. But the problem is they're going the wrong way with it, Mm. you know, and it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to know for a while until there's a glut of leadership where people go, yeah, I really don't want that. Mm. I don't want to be on a, in a school system. I don't want to be a principal one day. Yeah. I, I, I don't really want to just, be the head coach. I don't, I don't want to be the assistant yeah. coach because I don't want it all. Exactly. To have to... Yeah. And yeah. so it's a, it's going to be interesting. So you wonder if it will turn into what, what is now a leadership shortage turns into, or a work shortage turns into a leadership shortage mm. that we look out and we go, dude, there's a, there's no pipeline. We deal with it in the church world and student ministry. You can't find student pastors anymore. Mm. It used to be they were hanging off trees and dropping resumes in your mailbox. Now church calls. I'm like, yeah, man, I'll do my best to keep my eyes open, but I really mm. don't know anybody because mm. people have just sort of settled in and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch mm. and getting a front row seat to it because it's going to affect coaching. It's going to affect businesses. It's going to affect churches. That's that's going to be interesting. And I think your book ties into that really well clay because in the middle of that crew there are some that are aspiring to be leaders i mean they Mm -hmm. are how do you you walk into a room how quickly can you pick out somebody that's an aspiring leader when you're teaching a group of people how quickly can you see it you know um that's an interesting question there i there are certainly some things you look for, right? I mean, there's a brightness in somebody's eyes, right? That they're tracking with you. There's this, I mean, you know, when people are engaged and listening and uh, willing to speak up and, um, but there is also, I'm also really interested in the person that's 
you know, more quiet and diligent and they're just sitting there and you might not notice them in yeah. the moment. Yeah. And so sometimes um, some of those skills that you show in a room, you know, 50, 100 people where you, because that's usually what I'm doing is somebody's having a team development day or they want to build into their team. Uh, they've got some, maybe a batch of new employees that are starting. They'll bring me in to do a session with them. And so I am of course, naturally drawn to the people that are real eager. And um, it's, it's really who I wrote the books that I've written for. I created this character called eager Evan that is a 28 year old eager, can't get enough. Um, but is also kind of disillusioned because He's working at an organization where the boss is, you know, not leading him the way he wants to be led and he feels kind of stuck, but he's also hoping to grow and hoping to be different. So that's who I'm trying to speak to. So I am naturally looking for that person, but I have been really interested over the last year in the person that you kind of that hidden gem mm -hmm. that is, uh, is just steady and maybe not as, maybe not an extrovert, maybe not yep. as uh, willing to speak up in a group, but has a lot of horsepower within as well. So that's the person that you might not be able to pick out, but I'm very interested in that person. Uh, that's a great way to say it because so much that's personality driven. Yeah, you know, that's right. If you just go off disc, the D's and the I's are going to be front row. Alert. Alert. Not, they have no idea what you're talking about, but they're nodding along. And then the S's and the C's are hanging out somewhere in the crowd, but yet they're probably going to end up being in charge. How do you challenge leaders to find those that maybe not that they aren't the eager Evans. They're yeah. not the, they're not the the ones that are showcasing themselves, but yet they have all the, I had a guy at Chick-fil-A years ago, worked for Chick-fil-A for years and years. And we were down in a meeting down there at headquarters. And it was when Truett was still there. And Dan said, let me tell you about this guy. There's more in the warehouse than there is in the showroom. So you described my friend. And there I thought that's a great way to say it. How do you pick out those people? How do you, as a leader, a question. leading organization, pick those people out? Well, you got to stay open, right? I think you got to, a lot of times, uh, I don't know how, if anybody's read the book, Leadership and Self-Deception. That's, uh, that's been around for a while, but it's one of my favorite leadership books. But it talks about the simple idea that we sometimes put people in the box and then we won't let them out of the box. In fact, we look for any, we'll look for anything that will affirm our narrative that got him into the box because it subtly strokes our ego, it makes us feel like, ah, see there, I knew what I was talking about. He's late again, or he, you know, left a voicemail and didn't, you know, want to talk or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to stay open. We've got to, we've got, which is really, I mean, this is the way Jesus led. Jesus led with grace. I mean, he led yeah. with this willingness to go, you know, uh, Nicodemus, I know he's a Pharisee. I know in general, he would be a, an antagonist to me, but I'm going to stay open to the fact that maybe there is something there. Um, I think we got to, We've got to stay in that position of allowing people to surprise us. But then I think we got to be, um, I wrote a chapter on trust in the aspiring leaders guide to the future. And I think a lot of it is in that chapter and that concept of um, being willing to give somebody an opportunity, being willing to trust somebody even before they've earned trust. Mm. It is in all of us to go, I'm going to be skeptical, hesitant, suspicious until I see that they can do it. But the way you find out if there's trust, if the way you found out if somebody is trustworthy is unfortunately by trusting them, which is That's not right. easy to do because you think, well, I kind of need to know if they're trustworthy and then I'll trust them. But that's just not the way it works. You got to, it's, it's the way our judicial system works, right? The innocent until proven guilty. You got to believe that somebody's trustworthy until they prove otherwise. And so day one, I mean, I was just talking to a buddy of mine at Chick-fil-A who just changed jobs, had a new boss. And I said, how's the new situation going? He said, it has been incredible. 
it was a, it was a month. So he's in the honeymoon phase, but he said, but my first meeting with my boss, I couldn't believe it. He said, I've never had a boss do this, but he sat me down. He looks at me and he goes, I just want you to know, I believe in you already. I think it's in you to do more and I already see it and I already believe it. And so I want you, you don't have to wait. You don't have to prove yourself. You can just unleash mm-hmm. everything that's in you and let's go. I already believe in you. He said, it was day one. I'd never had somebody tell me that on day one. Usually it was like, well, we're going to see, I'm going to, you know, and that kind of belief in some, I mean, when someone trusts you, it is one of the most powerful motivations. And so yep. a lot of times people rise up to that level. Um, what, last little illustration, then I'll stop talking, but uh, Daniel Coyle wrote Culture Code, that book, fascinating illustration that he gives around Greg Popovich, yep. um, you know, Pops, the, is he currently the, U, I, I think he's the U.S. I, yeah, basketball I think coach. he is. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he, he is. took over for Coach K, I think. But he's won, what, five world championships with yep. the Spurs. And those, I mean, those teams were incredible. And I mean, it's a small market, you know, not a big payroll. I mean, it's, he's really seems like he's been a remarkable coach. I mean, he's certainly Hall of Famer. But he's a he seems like a grouch. I mean, every time you see him in the media or at pro whatever at games, I mean, just seems so grumpy. But yet his players love playing for him. What is that all about? And so Daniel Coyle interviewed a bunch of his former players and boiled it down to these two things. His former players said, he will tell you when you do not hit the standard for sure. There is a standard. And if you don't hit it, he will let you know. But they said, but secondly, he believes in you so much that you believe you can hit it because Mm -hmm. he believes in you. And it's that combination that I think is what you got to choose to do for those people that might be, you know, the hidden gems is you got to go, Hey, I believe in you. I'm going to let you know when you don't hit it, but I believe in you so much. I believe that you can hit it. And I think that combo is hopefully what will begin to allow that cream to rise to the top. In this new book, Clay, it's so good. What, what, Lynn, we're going to hit a couple of the, of the traits that we need to hit, but what drove you to write this? What was the what was the impetus to go? I need to get this out there. What was the what was your drive and your gas on that? Well, it was you know middle of 2020. Things were changing so um, drastically. You know, I've heard a few say that we we crammed you know five eight years of change into yeah. three to six months. I mean, it just accelerated so much of what was already happening, you know, in the new hybrid workforce, the, you know, work from home. I mean, there, there, there would have been a day where we would have thought, Oh, we can't do this virtually. We got to get in the same room. And I mean, you've built a whole podcast following on doing these, you know, doing virtual interviews like this. So even that has all been accelerated. Um, But so much of the, you know, e-commerce, trying to think about people in the store, but also people online. So, so much of that has just changed. Uh, I mean, I, I was at a sporting event a couple, uh, last week and the whole thing was contactless. You know, I mean, that was, things were partially contactless a couple of years ago. Everybody's contact. I mean, all the tickets are on the app, right? So I was in the middle of all that change, just going, man, this is different. And I was thinking through the lens of leadership, thinking, well, how is this going to change the kind of leader we've got to develop into. I I was sitting with a buddy of mine who's in sales and he was just kind of struggling because he's going, man, I used to, you know, the wine and dine, you know, I used to could take somebody bottle of wine, steak, I'd sit across the table with them and I could sell them nine times out of 10. If I had that night with them, I could sell them. But now I'm having to figure out this new way of building relationships. So all that had gotten me thinking about the future of leadership. And I just thought, all right, let's figure out where all this is going. Let's hang something on the wall 
that's a target. Of course, yep. it's a prognostication. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not some future fortune teller, but it was my best guess on where things were headed. And then the hope is, can we start to develop into the kind of leader that the future is going to demand? If we're going to develop into some kind of leader, we're all growing. We may as well grow in a way that's going to be consistent with where all of this is going. That Gretzky quote, you know, you, you don't skate to where yep. the puck has been, you skate to where the puck is going. So that was the hope was to try to put something up on the wall to create a conversation to go, where is it all heading? And how do we begin to develop into that kind of leader so that we will be ready when our moment comes? And that's that's a fantastic way to think about it, Clay, because th the reality is, even if so, you and I are both long career people, I've been in two jobs and 20, I guess, 31 years, I've been in two places. Um, but the reality is leadership's changing constantly. And constantly. Our, our our title may not change, but our the way we have to lead changes. And this is this gave a great, I thought you really did a good job putting some putting some things in our brains that are triggers that we can say, okay, to help that that one coming behind me. When you said be willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. What does it say to a team when a leader is willing to go? Yeah, I'm not really sure either. What does that say to the people around them? Well, it tells them what they already know, which is that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I mean, That's for me, fantastic. To, you know, I mean, uh, social media was a great example of this. I mean, when it was, uh, you know, when our, our church is trying to figure out how do we get, how do we communicate with our constituents? I, I was not the person to do that. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, fa I still remember Facebook when it was, you had to get invited, you know, you yep. had to have a certain kind of, you had to be a college student, then you had to get invited. I mean, you know, TikTok. I mean, I don't, I don't understand TikTok, but again, you can't bury your head in the sand. Well, I don't get it. So I don't, I mean, I know there's plenty of 60 somethings that are retiring right now because they're like, I don't know yep. how to connect with this next generation. And so I'm not going to, which in some ways I appreciate them saying, I don't know how to, but you, what, what I was trying to help people with is you don't have to let your lack of knowledge keep you from leading. It doesn't mean that you're not a leader because you can't understand them. It just means you've got to maybe work out this new muscle because the muscle in the past was you fake it till you make it. Yep. Don't let them see you sweat. You know, you, you know, never let them see the chink in the armor. I mean, when you think leader, you think confidence, command, control, um, competence, and you think knowledge, you think this certain baseline knowledge, and now things are changing so rapidly, you just, it's hard to keep up with everything. It's hard to have a baseline knowledge. So being willing to go, you know what, I don't know that, but I need what, it, what I think the best thing it does, it creates an invitation. Yeah, yeah. I need you. I, I, I'm letting you know that I know I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to be a poser. I'm not going to be a pretender. I'm not going to be a fake. I'm not going to be a try hard. I'm letting you know, I don't know. I'm not abdicating my leadership. I'm inviting you in. You bring your strengths. I'll bring my strength. I will be open and honest about my weaknesses. And I need you to come and bring your strengths because I need you. We're working on something so big. None of us can do this alone. So I think that invitation is the, that's the part that's so attractive to me. And if people would do that, I think, I think that is one way we get through the quiet quitting phase of work right now is by inviting people in. Yeah. And being willing, and, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, being willing, if you're a team, if you are a lead and one of your young bring an idea to you, give them the credit, don't take the credit. So, <laughs> yeah. so when, when that person speaks up and you, you as the leader go, Hey, listen, 
This wasn't my idea. Clay told me this. This is brilliant. What does it say to the team around you when you when you you know boomerang it back and go, hey, I'm not taking credit for this. This wasn't me. What does it say to that team? Yeah, it, you know, it's what it's just what we all want to be a part of. I mean, it's that you know Ronald Reagan, who I guess he's the one that said it. Maybe it was Abe Lincoln. We give Abe Lincoln and Ronald Reagan a lot of the credit, but you know, it's amazing how much we can accomplish when no one gets the credit. Yep. That's right. It's just saying, hey, what we're working on here is so big that I'm not going to hog it all. I'm not going to take it all. And and this is what's challenging right now is that it does take a certain level of ego to step out and be the point person. Mm-hmm. But we've got to move past that. We've got to be willing to open up our hands and to um, give credit where credit's due and to be willing to uh, to be the leader and still allow someone else to give credit, to get credit. And that's just not easy to do, but, but ultimately it creates the kind of culture that you want in any organization. And I think it's one of the most attractive things that any generation, but specifically this generation is looking for is I want to work at a place where there's not so some egomaniac at the top, who's hogging all the credit, but one that's willing to pass it along and, um, let other people be involved in, let some of the other people get, get lap up some of the, the joy and the, the fun of leadership uh, as opposed to just the senior point leader getting all of that. So I had a, I had a old high school football coach I've been hearing about for years. I had him on, I just released his episode. He's been at the same high school for 48 years, won eight state championships. It was absolutely fascinating interview. Wow. And, and he made a quote in it that, that ties into that really well. And it, and especially for us in leadership, he said, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. Hmm. He said, we remind our players of that every day. It really hmm. isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about the goal we have as an organization. And what I love about these aspiring um, triggers is they're about the organization. They're not just about you or about them. It really hmm. is about the greater good. And you put in there, even the GOATs, have a coach. Even the greatest have a coach. Why do we feel like in leadership, we've elevated past needing somebody to help us? Why do you think we, because I think it's the tendency of all of us. Why do you think we do that? Well, there's certainly a stigma that's attached to it, right? I mean, you and I, you, you know, my, certainly my parents grew up. um, They were, they were, they grew up in an era where if you went to a marriage counselor, people were like, Oh my goodness, it must be bad. Like, is there like, are they throwing plates up against the wall? You know? Um, and I think the same thing is true that there was just this, you know, it's a similar theme. There is this, uh, something in us that feels like once I get in charge, once I get the title of a leader, I've got to look like I have it all together. And so to, for somebody to look on my calendar and see an appointment with a counselor to see uh, an appointment with a coach, um, there is an alarm that goes off in us that goes, Oh no, are they going to think that I don't have what it takes? Mm. And the truth is they already do. That's That's exactly right. And so the more we can be willing to lead with that kind of, it's just this different sense of vulnerability, this different sense of transparency that I think is that we're all desiring these days because we've just seen too many leaders fall. We've seen too many leaders that we thought, Oh my goodness, he is Superman. She is Superwoman. They have it all together. We finally found someone. And then sure enough, you find out that, oh, here we go. Now we're finding out that there's a real, there's some stuff going on. So it's, it's just being willing to, um, it's being willing to work on it. 
with somebody who can see down the road, you know, there's a willingness to admit what you don't know, this willingness to say, you know, that phrase, the things I don't know won't hurt me. You know, it's the dumbest phrase ever. The things you don't know have hurt you, will hurt you and are currently hurting you. But there's someone who sees them. There's someone who sees down the road. My favorite part of it, though, is this idea of, you know, people our age turning around and getting a reverse mentor. Mm. So, you know, it's the 40 year old going, I'm going to find a 25 year old who can help translate for me, or it's the 60 year old getting a 40 year old going, Hey, I know you need this. Cause I got stuff I can see that I've just been through it enough to know, but I need you because there's stuff you can see that I can't see. Mm. And so that concept, that's the part that I think is, has been really surprising. And really, I think it's very inspiring whenever you see that. Who's somebody that's modeled that well? Who's somebody you've seen in the marketplace or in the church world that you go, man, they have modeled that really well? Well, I mean, Mike, of course, you know, there, I don't, it, it doesn't, it won't play as well because I'm sitting here on your podcast. But what you were just telling me about these younger communicators mm-hmm. that you have on your team, I mean, you just said, hey, I got a couple, you know, 28 year olds. And they've got the goods and I've given them the opportunities and I'm learning from them. I mean, that's, that's a Mm. pretty, that was the first thing that came to mind is you Mm. just, you just modeled that, you know, now I don't, I don't know what the day to day is like. I'm sure hopefully those 28 year olds feel the same way, but from my standpoint, (laughs) we will not invite them on (laughs) from my standpoint, you're doing it. You know, um, I I love the concept that, you know, I'm sitting here staring at my bookshelf that has the Doris Kearns Goodwin team of rivals and it stands out on the bookshelf because it's the fattest book on the bookshelf, but it's such a large book. But, you know, that the story of Lincoln is just ridiculous. I mean, him being willing to um, invite the people that he just defeated onto his cabinet, it's just unheard of. I mean, who to think about, you know, Joe Biden, you know, in 20 whatever that was 2020 to think about him turning around and going, Hey, president Trump, I need you to come and serve on my cabinet. Would you be, I mean, he wouldn't have invited him and he wouldn't have said yes. I mean, to think of Trump doing that with Hillary Clinton, you know, six years ago, I mean, that just would have been unheard of, but to think that's what he did. He's basically saying, look, there are things that you see that I cannot see and I need you to come help me see them. And that is the mark. I just think that is, that's always been important, but it is so much more important in the future for anybody who's looking to be an aspiring leader. You got to figure out how to do that because that is the mark of a great leader. 100%. And I, that is the beauty of the world that we live in is we have access to so much too that we didn't have access to when you and I started, especially when I started in ministry, yeah. you didn't have access to that. You you had to go to any people in business. You had to go to a conference. Now, Lord, I mean, we got stuff at our fingertips through audible yeah. and podcast yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Great books. So good. One of the last ones I want to hit on today, because I want to honor your time, is conflict never gets easy, goes away, or feels great. Why do we have to embrace the concept? Conflict's just going to be there. Why is it so important for a leader to get that and pass that on? Yeah, well, again, some of these are not new. This is certainly the one, uh, you know, of all the surprising ways leadership is changing a lot of people would listen to this and go, well, that's not changing. We've always had to be able to handle conflict, but it's different. It's different today than it's ever been for two reasons. Number one, because we're having more of it. I mean, there are just more disagreements. There are more ways we could disagree. And secondly, we're not getting better. We're getting worse. We're trending uh, in a, 
not a healthy way when it comes to conflict, because the way we're handling it is get around people who believe just like you get around people that think just like you, you know, that kind of group think, and then just lob insults uh, to people in the other corner. And that might be fine on social media. I mean, it's not fine, but it might be the way people on social media handle it. it might be the way people in, on the news or on media handle it. But as, you know, Jesus followers who are trying to be great leaders and trying to help people, we cannot do that. I mean, we have mm-hmm. to find a different way. Uh, we have to learn how to not avoid conflict, not run away from it, but also uh, not model some of the same things that we're seeing in society that we've got to. I try to give these four little a game plan that you got to, affirm what's true. You've got to ask a couple of questions, which means you have to suspend your judgment and really Mm -hmm. believe that there's something you don't know that if I could see it your way, if I had been through what you had been through, and if I experienced the way you experienced it, then let me take that on and see how that feels. Mm -hmm. And then let me acknowledge what you're saying. Let me acknowledge that and then advise and then say, all right, well, going forward, would you be open to doing it this way? Going forward, would you be willing to give me three months to try it this way. Um, if you go through, if you prepare for it, it'll go so much better. And if you go through it in that order, it will certainly help you. If not, if you, you know, rip off the email or, you know, pick up the phone and call them, go, ah, how dare you or whatever, whatever you're going to, if you start with advising, you'll end up having to acknowledge that you're wrong, ask for forgiveness and affirm yep. that you still, you know, want your job. <laughs> so you may as well go through it. You may as well go through it the opposite way. That's really good. Clay, your book is the book is solid. And man, any any leader needs to pick it up because for generations to continue in leadership, we've got to figure out what the needs are and we got to figure out how to best model our journey to affect theirs. And in the same way, there's things they need to know. So good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As you as you look out at life. Here you you've served in a phenomenal church. Here you are creating a new venture in this season. You may be in it for the next 20 years, maybe a five-year season. Nobody knows. What's the mark you want to make? When when Clay Scroggins leaves this planet in that dash on your tombstone, what's the mark you hope you made while you were here? Well, I got a chance to see it. Um, and I would hope to have a percentage of it, but there was a, a mentor of mine named Reggie Campbell who wrote some books. Uh, he wrote a book on, you know, what, it, how do you create ministry in the workplace called about my father's business. He wrote a book about being a great husband. And then he wrote a book called a mentor like Jesus. And he was really big into mentoring. And I was in a mentoring group of his, he basically just created a model on how he could mentor at scale. And then he did it for, uh, he really did it for the last 20 years of his life. He died about two years ago and stand, you know, sitting at his funeral, one of the most emotional moments for me, not only because I just miss him so deeply because he was such a, uh, just a huge voice in my life, both uh, directly and even indirectly with what he's written. But there was a moment where somebody that was standing up doing a eulogy said, Hey, um, if you have been impacted in some way by Reggie, would you be willing to stand up? Mm. And there were probably about 1500 people at this funeral and looking across this auditorium and seeing about 800 men stand up. I mean, it was just deeply emotional. And then the thing that was so cool. I mean, the part that was kind of surprising that I had never thought about is a few minutes later, um, somebody from his family was talking about how, you know, when my dad was 50 and he decided that he was going to do this, we were all like, well, way to go, dad. That's really cool. But to see that he did it all the way until he died just before his 70th birthday, really remarkable. And I thought, 
wow, okay, that's kind of cool that he didn't even start doing this till he was 50 years old. And look at what you can do in 20 years. I mean, you can make a pretty significant impact if you are faithful with the little things. And if you just consistently wake up every day going, all right, God, how are you going to use me today? And then actually have a strategy around it, have a specific way that you're going to do it. So I was, um, uh, that really gave me a vision for my own. I'm only 42, so I'm getting an eight-year head start on him. But my hope is that I'd be able to make that kind of impact on people's lives so that at the end of life, people would say, yeah, you know, he helped me become a better person. He helped me become a better employee, but more importantly, he helped me become a better person. I think that's uh, that's about all any of us can hope for. Golly, that was so good. Thank you. Clay, for sharing your heart of leadership with us. I am so thankful God has equipped and God has gifted certain leaders to pull back the curtain just a little bit to glimpse into the future and help provide us roadmaps and steps so we can be the most effective we can be. I hope you'll go out and pick up a copy of the Aspiring Leaders Guide to the Future. It is chock full of great stuff and we barely skimmed the surface because I want you to go get the book and there'll be links in our show notes and also uh, links and how to get in touch with Clay if you want to bring him into your business or your company or your church to work with you and your leaders. He would be a phenomenal coach to bring in. He's seen it all and I tell you what, he has the ability to communicate uh, so effectively, and I think he would be an asset to you and your team. Well, we get to continue our incredible 2022 guest list with, with a gentleman that I have followed for years. In fact, I have, uh, when I think about leadership, I have probably read more of his books on leadership than anybody else's. And his name is Patrick Lencioni. And I remember years ago when I read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and I'm like, this is incredible. This is so good. And then I started picking up all his books. His book, Ideal Team Player, is a onboarding book to join our team at North Star. It's on our walls about what it means to be an ideal team player. And he's just set the standard of leadership. But what you may not know about Patrick Lencioni is his heart for Jesus. And that's going to come through in our conversation. We're going to be talking about his newest work, the six types of working genius. I remember taking the test the day it came out. And um, I'm telling you, this is a conversation since this podcast has started. He's been on my list. I can't wait to have. So make sure and invite a friend to join you. Share this episode. Leave a rating and review because we want as many people as possible to hear men like Patrick Lencioni. So I can't wait to gather with you again next time. Go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God's put you. And let's make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.